0: So good to have fun in God's house. Before we begin, I have a fact, I have some terminology, and I have an observation. Did you know that the entire yolk of an egg is actually only one cell? And that that's one of nature's largest of all living cells. The egg yolk, it's one cell. Now, in an ostrich egg, of course, that one cell can feed about 24 people for breakfast. And it's probably the largest cell that nature manufactures, which is that ostrich egg. And delicious, too. Apparently, you've you've had ostrich. Now, I mentioned terminology. So throughout our talk today... The general topic of Christ's sacrifice on the cross and how it enabled our salvation is usually called atonement. The term was coined by English speakers a few centuries ago. But we're not using the word atonement, we're using at-one-ment. What Jesus accomplished in the cross and the resurrection was to make us one with God. It wasn't about a sacrifice. It was about making us one with God. Here's my observation, by the way, this Easter. You know, a Google search on the word resurrection yields lots of various images, and almost all of them are subtitled Death Could Not Hold Him. I submit to you, it wasn't even a contest. It wasn't a contest. Not only could death not hold him, but he rose out of the grave completely victorious. Without a contest for you and for me, and we'll talk about that. I wonder, have you seen this television ad? When you die, are you going to heaven or not? You can know for sure. Heaven or not.net. So I, I, I grew up in a Southern Baptist church my dad required attendance. And whenever Billy Graham had a crusade broadcast on television, it was required viewing for that night, nothing else. I received Jesus as savior, or got saved, when I turned 10, not understanding its significance or any of the terminology involved, but only that I was responding to the preacher's invitation to give my life to Christ, to give up sinful behaviors, behaviors and to not go to hell. I didn't want to go to hell. At 14, I rededicated my life to Jesus in a revival meeting. Attendance required there as well. Subsequently, I began attending a large, charismatic, full-gospel church where I learned the magnitude of living a legalistic style of Christianity ruled by the fear of wrong thoughts, sinful behavior, And every watchful eye of abusive leaders in a system in that church known as shepherding. Now as a Protestant, which most of us would declare ourselves, as a Protestant, at least before daring to open and elevate my reading, here was my understanding of how to get saved and it was absolute. We are sinful and separated from God's presence. He is holy. Sin offends him. It makes him angry, provokes his wrath and judgment. There's a penalty. And because of our sins, we humans owe an immeasurable debt to God, one we could never repay. This plight, if left unresolved by the time of our death, will result in us being damned, by God to eternal conscious torment called hell. How am I doing so far? I'm describing what you most likely grew up with in Western evangelical Protestantism. But because God loves us, he developed a plan. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, as a sacrifice. That's the theological term for propitiation. Or that's propitiation is the theological term that you'd read in the Greek for sacrifice Jesus absorbed or absorbed the punishment of God's wrath paid the legal penalty that God required for being offended at sin and he released us from the debt that we owed this is a free gift Jesus was raised from the dead to make the deal real or for sure now If you and I believe he did this for us we must number one ask forgiveness for our sins because forgiveness now is offered as a result of Jesus's payment in a blood sacrifice number two repent of immorality number three ask Jesus to come into our heart and if we really believe all of that when we pray and continue to believe it correctly then We're born again or saved. And we will be spared the eternal punishment of everlasting fire. By the way, good works are assumed as contribution towards the balance of the debt owed and remaining forgiven and deserving of God's blessing. Selah Pause I've lived that All my life. Believed it. Grew up under it. Watched Billy Graham's television crusades with that as the theme. Did you know that for the first 1,100 years of the early church and still to this day Orthodox Christians, especially believers largely in the eastern half of the world, have never believed this about the death and the burial of Jesus Christ. N.T. Wright, famous author and theologian, still alive, said this regarding this shift away from what the early church believed for the first 1,100 years and what we now believe in the evangelical West. He said, it's, it's as though God so loved the world that he gave his son, has become God so hated the world that he killed this son. So why was Jesus crucified? Before we can address this amazing event and the amazing event of the resurrection, we have to address the subject of the crucifixion. Now, it's widely held by most evangelical Protestants, yeah, and even non-believers, non-Christ followers in the West, that Jesus was crucified, number one, to forgive, forgive us of our sins, and number two, so that we could go to heaven. Ask the average person, why did Jesus come? They'll tell you, to forgive my sins. Anything else, like does it affect afterlife? Oh, yeah, to, so I could go to heaven. Now, let's work our way backwards through these two things. So first, I'm gonna take the belief that Jesus died so that we can go to heaven. This idea isn't really found in the Gospels. And you know what I'm speaking of, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four Gospels. N.T. Wright says again, Quote, most Western forms of Christianity, Catholic and Protestant, liberal and conservative, have assumed that the ultimate aim of being a Christian is, as the phrase goes, to go to heaven when you die. In terms of God and ourselves, God is in his domain and we hope to go to be with him one day. But the message of the Bible is that God the Creator longs to come and make his home with his people. The final scene of the Bible is not, despite the powerful portrayal in medieval mystery plays and so on, a matter of saved souls going to heaven, but rather a new Jerusalem coming down from heaven to earth so that the dwelling of God can be with humans. If how to get there was that important. Jesus surely would have talked about it more than he did and preached on it as a topic more than he did. Only 19 times in the four Gospels did Jesus refer to heaven and when he did he was referring to it as my Father in heaven. For instance the Lord's Prayer when Jesus taught us to pray, our Father who art in heaven heaven. That would be one of the 19 instances. Five times he referred to heaven as a place of reward, treasure, and joy. But Jesus himself only made three direct references to heaven in this passage. In all of the Gospels, John chapter 14, verses 2 through 4. In my Father's house are many mansions, if it were not so, I would, not have told, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am you might be also. And whither I go, you know, and the way you know. Now, what Jesus did talk about all the time was the kingdom. This is the primary theme of the Gospels and the entire New Testament, really the kingdom equals bringing heaven to earth and joining them as one in the person of jesus christ watch this this is called the kingdom of god bringing heaven to earth and joining them in the person of jesus jesus said this in luke's gospel chapter 17 the kingdom is within you matthew chapter 10 he said as you go preach saying The kingdom is within you. He didn't talk about heaven. He didn't say preach about heaven. He said, talk about the kingdom and that it's among you and it's within you. Paul picks up on this same theme in Romans chapter 14, when he says that the kingdom is God's presence within you. Let me read, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, And joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God, which Jesus preached, Paul preached, Peter preached, the disciples went out and preached, is God's presence, heaven brought to earth in the person of Jesus. God's will throughout eternity has always been to join heaven with earth, not for you and I to go to, quote, a place called heaven. Right, you're you're saving up those questions right? <laughs> for Q&A time, because we we will have one. And it's not about being right or wrong. All right, here this morning. That's 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 not what we do. All right. Second, there were two things. So second is we're, we've been backing through this. Second, the most second widely held view of Western Christianity, often referred to, by the way, as re- the Reformed thought or Reformed gospel is that Jesus was crucified to pay the debt of sin that we owed to God, including suffering God's wrath in our place. While those who hold to this persuasion point to numerous scriptures in support, there are two primary interpretations of scripture that are the foundation for this way of thinking. Number one, sin is breaking the law, which then requires forgiveness and restitution. Number two, Blood sacrifice, as typified in the Old Testament, is the means by which the debt that's owed gets paid. Here's the problem with that concept. Psalm chapter 40 and verse 6, Old Testament. Sacrifice and offering you do not desire, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not, required. Hebrews chapter 10, verse eight. First, Jesus said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. See, people cherry pick passages such as hebrews chapter 9 and verse 2 and following where it says and without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sin lending itself to old testament sacrifice bloodletting here's the interesting thing though the first part of that verse and the verse right before it say according to the law without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sin but jesus came to give us a new testament He is the law of Moses. He is the law of God. He is salvation. And Jesus and his words trump everything else that we might have thought was required by God. It all focuses within Jesus. And that's why the testimony of Jesus in Hebrews and in Psalms and numerous places is, I'm not pleased with animal sacrifice. I don't require your sin offerings. I'm interested in a humble heart. You say, well then, how is God going to forgive us? Psalm 51, verse 16. For you have no delight in sacrifice. If I were to give a burnt offering, you would not be pleased, right? Is it possible that God for, could forgive us just because of mercy, just because of his love? 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, there's a word in here in the Greek that's used by so many to teach this aspect that forgiveness requires payment and restitution. It's the word halasmos in Greek. In other words, propitiation, a sacrifice for our sins. And there's several scriptures which speak of this in the New Testament, that Jesus was the propitiation for our sins. Now, in one reference, it means expi- expiation. Reparations are paying a debt, making things fair. In other references, it is the word propitiation, which means to appease the wrath of an offended God. You find that in John chapter 4, verse 2, and Romans chapter 3, verse 25. And so, from that, we get the idea, if we interpret scriptures under that view of penal substitution, that God requires payment for sin. He's been offended, and there has to be payment, so there's got to be bloodletting based on the Old Testament picture of that when God says, wait, I don't require that at all. I forgive you because I love you. I forgive you through my mercy. I take no pleasure in sin offerings. You say, okay, all right, now you've shaken the cage. You've rattled it big time. Well, here's the rabbinical translation of the word halasmos. It's the Hebrew word, halasterian. Psalm 130, verse four. There is halasterian with you. There is forgiveness with you. Hebrews chapter nine, verse five, uses this same word, halasterian. And this word clearly refers to, not sacrifice, not bloodletting, but a physical place, a lid, On the mercy seat. Halasterian, in all of these various passages where Jesus is called, quote, our Halasterian or or our halasmos, our propitiation, means he is our mercy seat. It's the place where we come to meet with God and get his forgiveness, not based on anything I can do but on his love that he has for me. Jesus is our meeting place. Dear ones, and we talked about this last week in our topic, this is part three of a three-part series and we're closing the series today, A Better View. Sin is a failure. In the Eastern Orthodox tradition, for the first 1,100 years of the church, and all of our Eastern brethren have never believed in sacrifice and penal substitution as a requirement for forgiveness. Their position was that sin was a failure, not simply the breaking of rules that the failure was to be human, the failure was to reflect God's image, the failure was missing the mark, harmatia. Sin is a disease requiring a hospital, not the breaking of law requiring a legal payment of restitution. Brian Zahn, pastor of a wonderful mega-sized church back east, and writer of numerous books, but one of them I think is one of his premier works, Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God. There's a gentleman, an early 1900, an evangelist, who preached a sermon and then put it in a book, and it is required reading in every Bible school in in the country. Jonathan Edwards. And the sermon was titled Sinners in the Hands of a Wrathful God. He even describes holding how that God will hold sinners over the fires of hell and let them burn in this sermon. <laughs> yes, yeah, sinners, God, get them. So Brian wrote a response to that in his book called Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God. I quote The cross is not what God inflicts upon Christ in order to forgive. The cross is what God endures in Christ. As he forgives." Okay, resurrection. Having laid that groundwork of why Jesus died, why did he have to be crucified? Let's talk about after he hung on the cross and resurrection. You see, the gospel, the four gospels, are all about victory. Paul highlights this in Colossians chapter 2. He disarmed the principalities and powers. This is the gospel that they preached. I'll have it on the screen. And when you were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with him when he forgave us of all of our trespasses. Notice, he forgave you of all of his trespasses, erasing the record that stood against you with its legal demands. He set this aside, nailing it to the cross, and he disarmed the rulers and authorities and made a public example of them triumphing over them in it. He picks up on this same theme in first Corinthians chapter 2 Paul says that the rulers of that age had they understood what Jesus was going to pull off when he went down into hell would not have crucified Jesus because you see what Jesus did on the cross when he died was he went down into hell and death and he robbed it of its power he destroyed the power of death Through his death. And you can read it for yourself. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul says the rulers, the powers, all the demons, the satanic world would have never crucified Christ had they known that that was going to happen, that he was going to destroy their kingdoms and ruin their power and take from them the keys of hell and Hades. They would have never done it. Paul writes that. The gospel isn't about an animal sacrifice the gospel isn't about bloodletting to be forgiven and then going to heaven the gospel is about what Jesus accomplished when he destroyed death when he stole the keys of hell and Hades from the enemy our enemy Satan and then rose again to give you and I not only the assurance of forgiveness of sin but that we live in victory Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. I don't think we have this for a slide, but listen to this now carefully. Watch. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared the same things, so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. I mean, could it be any clearer than what the writer of Hebrews says there? You see, Paul says that according to the Scriptures, when it comes to resurrection, for I handed down to you what I at first, or as of first importance, what I in turn had received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised again on the third day according to the Scriptures. Well, now, they didn't have a Bible back then when Paul wrote that. They didn't have a new testament it, it it was in process of being written but they didn't have what we call the bible so what are the scriptures that he's referring to the old testament of course so paul says now i committed to you what i've received he said that christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was raised again according to the scriptures Well, what was it about the Old Testament scriptures that they drew when it came to crucifixion and resurrection? Did you know that there's a day of atonement where the bloodletting of the animals paid the debt? And then there's Passover. Passover, where God brings blessing and deliverance just because he loves them. Which one of those days do you think that Jesus washed the feet of the disciples, had communion, and then went to the cross. It wasn't on atonement. It was on Passover. You see, Jesus is our Passover by God's design. So when you think about it, victory over Pharaoh, going through the Red Sea, In the same way that God dealt a blow to all the powers of darkness that tried to keep Israel in bondage, God now through Christ has dealt all the kingdom of hell and Hades a blow by delivering us through Christ's substitution. And I will use that word, but advisedly. Jesus chose a Passover meal to communicate the coming of victory, the victory of the cross over darkness. Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 and verses 8 through 9. Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. Think about the the kingdom of darkness and what they were plotting and how they were cheering like a Super Bowl that they had crucified Christ. They put him on a cross. Watch this. They take counsel together against the Lord. And the anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast their cords from us. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. That's what Christ did when he rose from the dead. His death put to death death and gave us victory over all the kingdom of darkness. Why was Jesus crucified? John chapter 12, verse 23 and 24 tells us Jesus is headed for Passover, the Passover dinner. He's about to give up his life on the cross. And he answers them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, It remains a single grain, but if it dies, it's going to bear much fruit. He was telling them what's going to happen in his death. I'm a grain of wheat. I'm a seed. I'm going into the ground. And after I come out of the ground, guess what? There's going to be a bunch of fruit. Have you ever called somebody a fruit or a nut? It's actually scriptural. Oh come on that was a good place to at least smile I mean you don't you know it's Easter hey John chapter 12 following a couple of verses watch 31 and 32 now is the judgment of this world he's not talking about people He's talking about the cosmos he's talking about rulers of darkness now is the judgment of this world now the ruler of this world will be driven out and when I am lifted up from the earth I will draw all people unto me what was the crucifixion and the resurrection for? For Jesus to put death to death and to gain complete victory over all the powers of darkness and then set us free so that we could enjoy life as humans and be human and be, uh, reach our full potential on this earth. Hmm. Jesus was our substitution, but not as a payment for sin. Watch this, Romans chapter eight, and I'm, I'm I'm getting there. I'm getting to where you're you're saying, okay, eighteen minutes would have been about right. All right, what? Let's stay with me just a little bit. Romans chapter eight, because you've read it. Many of you that are Bible believers, Christ followers, you know this passage of scripture. Romans chapter eight. Therefore, there is therefore now no judgment, condemnation for those who are in Messiah Jesus. That's not a condition, that's a consequence. He's he's declaring what humanity now enjoys because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Paul writes, because God has sent his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as a sin offering, and right there in the flesh, he condemned sin in the flesh. Definitely this is penal, but there's no condemnation because God condemned the sin and it's definitely substitutionary because God condemns sin and and sin has been condemned in the death and the representation of the Messiah so that there is no condemnation for you and me Jesus took that and condemned it now notice these two things he doesn't say that God condemned Jesus He says that God condemns sin in the flesh in the body of Jesus. Secondly, here is in Galatians chapter 3, for instance, the result is so that we can be forever forgiven forever and not go to heaven because heaven isn't even mentioned here. Or in Galatians 3, the purpose of Christ putting sin to death in his flesh is so that humans can be remade by the Holy Spirit ahead of their ultimate remaking in the resurrection and as in Revelation they can play their parts in the new creation of God it is called the victory of Easter there is no more precious day there is no more precious event and thank you for coming out thank you for listening and watching on celebration Sunday where we celebrate Easter I hope now and forever you will always see Easter not as a payment of penalty and bloodletting and then going to heaven, but that you will see it as God destroying the powers of darkness, taking complete victory over them and giving that to you and me. And we enjoy forgiveness just because God loves us. That is good news.